Real stories. Real stories. Real people. I just can't believe it. It was one of the most exciting times of my life. It's just, I just can't believe that it happened to me. Me winning the lottery. I just can't believe it. Real stories. Real stories. Real people. Winning the premiership was awesome. Felt great holding the truth. So it happened when I was 15 and it was pretty scary at the time, but you know, looking back, I, I think I donent a lot. It's my life. Hello and good afternoon. <laughs> Welcome to It's My Life. But we talk to local people and hear some of their incredible stories about their lives. My name is Carenzo and it's fantastic to be with you today on Radio Karen. And today my very special local guest is Kim, who has led quite a remarkable life. Kim started her career in the police force when she left school at the age of 18. Passionate and driven, she quickly made her mark as a police officer and she was given the opportunity to join the drug squad in a secondment when she was just 20 years old. This was an opportunity that Kim jumped at. Quickly cementing her role, Kim went on to become a detective, a senior detective in the Victorian drug squad and then working as an undercover where along with her colleagues she helped to solve some of Victoria's largest drug crimes. As you can imagine, this work was not always easy, living away from home undercover and at times fearing for her own life. It's fair to say it took its toll on Kim, who was eventually diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Kim realised it was time for a change, and so she made the decision to do something completely different with her life, building a whole new career working with some of the 100,000 Australians who find themselves rough sleeping living on the streets. It was through this work that Kim found a new passion in helping to change this with a strong desire and commitment to end homelessness. It's been a remarkable career and Kim was recognised for her outstanding contribution to the community with a 2019 Australia Day Award for her incredible community leadership. Here to share her story and some of her favourite songs this afternoon in It's My Life is my very special guest, Kim. Welcome, Kim. Thanks, Carenza. Happy to be here. And it's great to, um, it's terrific to have you here as well. Um, so um, let's start really by talking about the police force. So your career in the police force working as an undercover senior detective is a remarkable true story about the Australian underworld. Let's face it, fake identities, drugs, cash and danger. All in a day's work for you and your colleagues working to infiltrate the Australian drug scene. It may sound glamorous. But it was also very challenging and at times extremely dangerous. Um, so, Kim, um, what was it that actually attracted you um, to a career in the police force? Well, I think it started as young as uh, five or six, uh, watching TV shows, of course, some that were a little bit real unrealistic. Uh, Charlie's Angels was the one that I think got me over, over the line. And, uh, yeah, basically it's something that I always wanted to do playing cops and robbers as a child and uh, and then joining when I was 18 was just amazing for me at such a young age. It's unusual, isn't it, you know, to actually think about that that is a career, you know. So um, you joined it. Um, what, what happens when you're, when you're in the police force? So you're there, what do you do? Do you go to the police academy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, joined uh, in July 1985, so I'm showing my age here. And, uh, yeah, we went into the police academy, lived in internally there for four and a half months. 
we I think we had to be in by about seven o'clock on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday evening, and uh, we weren't allowed out until uh, the following Friday. Uh, so yeah, it was intense, but it was a lot of fun, and I, I still have uh, some wonderful colleagues or friends, uh, lifetime friends, I guess you'd call them. Yeah, so pretty cool. Hey, so living leaving home at the age of eighteen, going yeah. and living in the academy, was it like the? I mean, I watched the movie Police Academy. Anything like Police Academy? Well, funnily enough, we used to watch those movies in the academy. We had a. a, a uh, place that we called the snake pit which was under underneath like a little bit of a dungeon coven and and uh, we all uh, get together and and back then uh, they served uh, drinks uh, and so forth but I think our squad was one of the first squads where they eliminated that which was probably a good thing at the time <laughs> but uh, it still didn't stop us from having a lot of fun down in in the snake pit it was great. So you spent two years working as a police officer before you had the opportunity to become a detective. Tell me a bit about that. What what what, what do you do as a you know you you've passed the academy, mm. you become a police officer. What are the things you know? What are the things that happen? Well, you you spend the first two years um, basically uh, undergoing further training and and just going to different stations and so forth and, and getting a little bit of experience up. But I was lucky enough to only spend two years in uniform and, and uh, where I was um, taken uh, taken out into a special duties unit after only two years. And, and from then on I went to a, a unit called the... Um, the Paran DSG and uh, it was a district support group so we did you know uh, a little bit um, of uh, higher crimes than you would if you're in uniform and, and I was always really crime driven um, uh, you know I wasn't interested in in booking people on the roads or things like that so I wanted to lock up crooks so yeah <laughs> so um, that's what we basically did and um, unfortunately my old partner Leroy is no longer with us but uh, he and I had a wonderful time for for two years, I think two, two and a half years, basically just doing that. It was great fun. So so at 20 years old, you got given the opportunity to become a detective. Now, that sounds very young, 20. 20 is pretty no, young. No, I wasn't a detective at 20. I actually didn't. Uh, uh, I think it was just before f- my five years in the job that I became a detective, yeah, which I was at the time one of the youngest detectives there. And how, how did you get to have that opportunity? Well, it's obviously a quite lot different, of, isn't it? a lot of work. I, uh, when we were at the DSG, uh, I worked around the clock and uh, a lot of uh, arrests. Uh, you have to sit before a panel, a board, and uh, basically then you have to uh, be interviewed and there are exams and so forth as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess it was just through locking up a lot of crooks. <laughs> so, and not just a detective, but a detective in the drug squad too. Mm. So, so um, that would have been quite different. Yeah, I think... You know that whole underworld, under um, you know underhanded drug kind of culture uh, really appealed to me. Um, it, it was something that I was, you know, big drug traffickers. I was completely against because you know they kill off uh, amazing people in our community and and uh, yeah, and I wanted to to you know make a change and and and, and you know help where I could. And, and the excitement, of course, too, because yeah. ex- I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie, so uh, that it, that was 
um, what drew me to that area. Yeah. And I think what was quite unusual about as well your story is you were only one of a very small handful of detectives in the drug squad in Victoria too. So, I mean, you really kind of broke through that glass ceiling as well. Are you talking about women? Being yes, a woman, yeah. being a woman. Yeah, um, there was um, probably just over 100 detectives at the drug squad at the time and, and three, only three were women, including myself. So, yeah, it was a, it was um, quite a little niche you know, uh, and it was good too because I, I think because being a bit of a tomboy, I was accepted into the group, which was quite hard. You know, having that male dominance, um, where a couple of the other women didn't have as e- an easier as easier time as I did. But um, yeah, I, I guess because I was just one of the boys, um, it was it was easy for me, and uh, yeah, it was great. So you're listening to Radio Karen, It's My Life. My name's Karen. My very special guest this afternoon is Kim, talking local stories and local people. And we're hearing about Kim's journey in the police force. But we're also as well going to hear some of Kim's favourite songs too. So um, you have talked about um, one of the songs you've chosen is uh, In Excess, great Australian band. Why In Excess? What is it about In Excess that you, um, that you love? I actually met Michael Hutchins in 1982 uh, at a summer fest and I uh, have a photo taken with him. So I've been a big fan um, ever since. And uh, that the song that I've chosen, Never Tear Us Apart, was uh, a song, is a song that whenever I'm flying, I always pump up the volume. And as we're taking off, it's the song that I always play, as, as I do when we're landing as well. It's just uh, uh, something that I always do. Fantastic. Well, let's have a listen to NXS and then we'll come back and talk about your time um, as an undercover, um, which sounds very interesting. So here it is, NXS and Never Tear Us Apart. And you are listening to Radio Karen. My name is Karenza and it's my life with my very special guest, Kim. And we're talking about Kim's incredible story and her time in the police force, but also as a detective. So you became a senior detective, Kim, after um, a few years too. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, uh, I think not long after I became a detective, I went from detective senior constable to detective, sorry, detective constable, detective senior constable. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sound silly, but senior just means you're more senior? It does, and, and once again, more exams and things like that, so interviews and, and that you have to pass and then, and then you go up to that um, level. So, um, look, I guess, you know, we've all seen the TV shows, haven't we, about the underworld, you talked about them, that, you know, the, the books that have been written, all of those things, and, you know, um, you were a, an undercover Um what, what does it mean to, to be an undercover? And, and ha, ha, not everyone obviously becomes an undercover either. No, no, definitely not. Um, I guess it was uh, during the time when I was doing special duties, I had a, an opportunity to uh, work at the drug squad prior to me becoming a detective uh, for a period of three months. And uh, look, it happened by chance. Um, I had always, I'd never dreamt in my wildest dreams that I'd become an undercover, even though I, I would desperately had always wanted to but uh, I was working uh, on a particular day and one of the other the only other female undercover uh, in the state had uh, gone sick and a drug buy had been um, organized so um, they were about to call it off when I volunteered to do it and uh, my first drug purchase was twelve thousand dollars worth of rock heroin and um, yeah it was a very exciting time and I must admit um yeah, I still uh, get butterflies thinking about that first initial drug purchase. Wow. So you, as an undercover, so that's about infiltrating, becoming part of the yeah. kind of criminal 
yeah. activity or criminal scene or well this was considered a low amount and this was just uh, a buy-in basically just to to get into to this uh syndicate and uh, it was a romanian group so who and at the time romanians only ever dealt to romanians so it was uh it was quite um a big deal to come away with um with the purchase which i did uh it was a bit hairy at the time um uh, there was a gun involved um and uh but in the at the end of the day i took myself out of it and um yeah and the rest is history and from that point on um I was asked to do the undercover course, which was a national course at the time. And, um, yeah, and I did that and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. So you do an undercover course, mm-hmm. you you stop being a detective and become an no, undercover or no, you're an undercover was, detective? Was, it's, it's It sounds crazy, uh, but back in those days um, I, was, I was hats on, hats off. So one day I might have been... Um, raiding a house for drugs and the next day I might have been doing a drug purchase um, and then there were other times when I, I'd do a larger, a bigger scale job which required me to, to live away from home for extensive periods of time. So, wow, so when you say extensive periods, like months and months at a time? Yeah, yeah. on and off for about 18 months on my last job. Um, yeah, basically living out of a suitcase in uh, rural Victoria and uh, you know, uh, along the border. So, yeah, it, it was a, a time when um, I, I basically worked 365 days a year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge commitment to a job. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, to me at the time and to others in the police force, especially doing what we were doing, it wasn't a job. It was... Um, it, it, it was a way of life for us. Um, yeah, we, we just all um, basically were mates with each other so doing that job um myself and my partner had a house where we infiltrated uh a a big group of uh local um i guess you'd call them major drug dealers and uh and from that time we we had controllers that would would help us and they lived in a different town and and we would secretly meet up with them once a week and um yeah and go from there so when you were in, at the time in the drug squad as an, and, and as an undercover, you and your team made some of the drig- biggest drug busts at the time in Victoria, some of the largest that would have been seen in the era. How did you feel at the time, you know, that there you were in the midst of, you know, things that would be splashed probably all over the news? Um, look, a, a couple of times um, we made the news and uh, due to quick actions from our superiors, the newsreels were removed. Um, that was, you know, through... Uh, on one particular occasion, we were uh, arrested alongside our um, our targets uh, on the uh, Tullamoon Freeway, and it was recorded because um, there was a news crew happened to be in a building that that um, that filmed it, and uh, we hadn't. Uh, they, uh, according to the to the uh, targets, we were still part of their crew. They didn't know we were police, so um, it was quickly removed from from the. Um, from the news news show that night, probably a good thing. So then there would have been, I imagine, as an undercover, some moments that were frightening, terrifying. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, there were there were some really hairy moments. Um, obviously, we went by at the time our our real names, not not our surnames, but in case someone recognised us in the street or where we were and yelled out, "Hey, Kim, how you going?" We, you know, um, we would we, we, you know, instinct you turn around to your name so uh, we kept our, our 
you know, real names. So, uh, but we had fake IDs for everything else. So, yeah. And what was, you know, are you comfortable talking about what maybe a scary moment or a, did you ever fear for your life? Oh, many times, many times I felt feared for my life. I, um, I had a syringe held at the back of my head for uh, probably an hour uh, on a drive between rural Victoria and Melbourne um, as I was driving and the target was in the back. Um, you look, I was involved in a, in a shooting where the person next to me got shot that I was struggling with. Um, and and pri- even prior, not prior, but in my detective hat, um, I was involved in a couple of other shootings as well. So, yeah, I um, yeah, there, there were hairy moments. And so, you know, there's certainly been a lot of books that have been written about, I guess, the drug squad at that time, and you've certainly appeared in some of those too, you know. Yeah. Uh, have, you, have you read them? I've read, I've read two of the the undercover books, uh, one undercover and one called Wired. Obviously, it's, it has my name in it. Um, well, it's um, many times. Uh, and I didn't even know that I was in the book until um, someone came to me at work one day in, in um, another position that I had and said, oh, I just read your book. <laughs> and uh, so it was a bit of an eye-opener. But, yeah, I read that book and uh, and the other one. And But there's a, been a couple of underbelly books that I've featured in as well. And what do you think when you see those, like, you know, looking back now at that time in your life, do you, what, what do you feel about that? Um, it's like a different life. I mean, I have kids now, so um, I, I definitely couldn't have done it as a mother, um, you know, because at the time you're invincible and you don't believe that, you know, anything's going to happen to you. But when you're a mother, you know, you protect your life because you want to be there for your kids. So uh, it's not something that I would ever, I would have ever considered had I been a mother. So, yeah, it's, it's, sometimes I pinch myself when I look back. And, um, but, yeah, it's, it's nothing that I would change. Uh, I love... I loved every part of it and um, it's made me the person that I am today. So then it came to a point obviously where it was quite difficult though because, I mean, um, you've obviously spoken about having post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, as yeah. a result of, I guess, some of those experiences. Absolutely. And uh, look, it, it's something that I've learned to deal with over the years. Uh, initially, all those years ago, it was hard to deal with. But um, look, Oh, I haven't had any symptoms for a very, very long time, um, touch wood. And um, I'm sure that um, my life will continue to, to um, you know, with, without uh, having any symptoms. It's just something from my past. And uh, as long as I don't go, um, you know, handling guns and things like that, I, I think I'll be fine. So, you know, if you look back at that time, and this, I mean, this is only really the first part of your, I guess, your career. You look back on that time, you know, anything you would do differently? Um, I don't think so. I, um, I pretty much had the time of my life for the 12 years that I spent in the police force and uh, I've got some magnificent, long, lifelong friends from it and, um, yeah, it's something that I'll cherish forever. So you're listening to It's My Life on Radio Karen. I'm Karenza with my very special guest, Kim, who's been talking about her time in the, um, the police force um, and then becoming a detective and working um, as an undercover, infiltrating um, some of the largest drug, I suppose, gangs um, in Australia. We're about to come on to the second part of your career as well, Kim, where you made a shift and, you, and a complete change into homelessness. But before we do that, I um, have asked you to, you know, we're going to play some of your favourite songs. And, and, you know, you have in, um, we've had in excess, obviously, um, never tear us apart but uh aerosmith as well is um a band that you've that you've got for us to play this afternoon 
absolutely my favourite band of all time. Um, a couple of years ago, they came to Melbourne. They played two concerts and I went to both of them. Um, Dream On was um, Steve Tyler's first song that he ever wrote. Um, I think he was only 16 or 17 when he wrote it and uh, it's something that um, is close to my heart because I've always had big dreams and this song has always motivated me in, in achieving those. Yeah, big dreams are big dreams are important things, aren't they? Absolutely. You need to dream and you need to visualize those dreams and I think this song replicates that. Hi, it's Sonia Kilkenny and I'm pleased to be here on Radio Karam. Oi. Oi. Oi, oi, oi. IGA is shopping nights. IGA where the price is right. Seaford North IGA for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker. You are listening to Radio Karam. I'm Karenza. It's my life with my very special guest, Kim. That's Kim. Do you go to the Seaford North IGA? Absolutely. I shop there all the time. It's a wonderful store. Fantastic. Well, to all of our listeners, we do encourage you to get out there and support our local sponsors. So the IGA Express there in Seaford North Railway Parade. Good news that that roundabout is now open too. Easier to get through if you're on this side of um, of, of Roy Dore Reserve too. So, um, Kim, we've, you know... Um, your career has spanned two probably really quite significant um, parts. We've heard about your time as a police officer, detective, senior detective and undercover in the drug squad. And then a massive career change and shift. I'm going to talk a little bit about homelessness now. So people experiencing homelessness are usually thought of as not having a roof over their heads. But the reality is so much more complex than that. And we'll certainly explore that, Kim. A person is considered homeless when they do not have suitable accommodation alternatives or if their current living arrangement is unstable. And it may sound surprising, but these days almost anybody can become homeless. Did you know that on any given night in Australia, one in 200 people are homeless, which is absolutely a horrifying statistic. In fact, you might know someone who is struggling right now. Homelessness is now recognised to be more than just someone living on the streets, as perhaps sometimes we see on TV shows. It includes things like severe overcrowding at home and couch surfing. So, Kim, big career change. There you go. You're, you, on one end of the scale, you're out there nicking people, arresting people, doing all these drug busts, living as an undercover. And now you've, you've gone into homelessness, and it's such a big career change. Why homelessness? Why such a, such a swing? Yeah, look, I actually started off as a youth worker, uh, to be honest, and um, that, I guess, just accidentally led me into that homelessness stream because uh, working with youth, a lot of them are homeless. So um, it, it became bigger and broader than that. So that's uh, I started my career up in uh, Wonthaggy and Lee and Gather, actually, uh, working for the Salvation Army. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a great time and and it spanned uh from there i went to an organization called ways which does most of the southern region of melbourne um yeah and, and it was just a, a wonderful um a wonderful job so one in 200 australians homeless yeah yeah well i mean that obviously encompasses uh not only just you know the street homelessness that you that you most people think about when they they think about homelessness but it it, it also is about you know family violence 
Uh, it's also about, um, you know, uh, people that living in unsuitable accommodation. Now, that might be caravan parks, rooming houses, things like that. And as you mentioned before, overcrowding. I mean, there's, there's a lot of places uh, that are, you know... Uh, two-bedroom uh, unit might house eight people and it's just it's just um you know it's not safe it's it's not something that uh is is always hygienic and things like that so um you know that does constitute homelessness so you know it, it's not just your rough sleepers mm. what interests me about i guess your career and i want to talk a bit more about rough sleepers and how people become homeless as well mm. but you started your career again from the ground so in the same way the police force you started you know you went through the academy started as a police constable yeah became a detective senior detective undercover you started as a case manager so you, you said you, you started working with young people young kids came across and so you're out and about working with homeless people yeah absolutely and and sometimes i wish i had stayed that way working on the ground uh level with with um with the client because uh, that was the most rewarding uh, time of my career but yeah eventually i i went into being a team leader coordinator then manager then senior manager and, and eventually i became uh, general manager of the organization so i'd like to talk a bit about what is it that leads people to homelessness and you touched on a bit you said it's not always rough sleepers you know and certainly you know i guess in covid you've not seen many rough sleepers it's interesting actually now that you're starting to see rough sleepers appearing again i've yeah. certainly seen four rough sleepers actually this weekend just unless here. the tennis is on yeah well that, that's another story <laughs> unless the tennis is on but you know having seen nobody obviously because the government did a lot obviously during covid yeah absolutely look during covid they did a tremendous job uh, in our state uh, especially with uh, getting all the um, homeless people off the streets uh, and also um you know the the hotels um, took a hit too so I guess they combined that and they put all the homeless people in in a, the vast majority of empty hotels which was great and, and and obviously paid for that too and paid for the homeless people to be in those hotels which which was incredible because people that had been living on the streets all of a sudden you know were in some of them five-star accommodation so um, the the hardest part is now getting them out into uh, accommodation that doesn't seem like going back into a rooming house and 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 you know some kind of suitable accommodation. I said just this weekend, you know, so I'm just in Karen Dance just down the road. You know, there's a homeless person there, homeless person in Patterson Lakes. I've seen four homeless yeah. people with their you know signs, "I'm homeless, help me" this weekend. Yeah. And you know, as you said, with COVID, not having seen seen that for such a long time. What is it, you know, that actually if, if one in 200 Australians are homeless, and I think I said at the start, you know, anyone anyone can become homeless. Yeah. How does it happen? How does it start? Uh, look, a lot of it's mental health. Um, but look, social, um, financial disadvantage, uh, especially with um, the current situation with COVID and unemployment and, and just, just people losing their livelihoods through COVID. Uh, that's that's obviously one of the the biggest increases. But ice uh, ice epidemic um, has and drugs in general. Drugs in general ha is a major cause of homelessness because you know when people are antisocial and they're on on a drug of choice and and obviously ice is is um, one of the biggest pre most prevalent drugs in our society at the moment. People uh, that are on that. Uh, because of their antisocial and aggressive behaviour, soon get evicted from any type of accommodation. So even getting them a rooming house is often, it's just not achievable because we know, or sustainable because we know that it's only going to be a couple more days before they're evicted again. So 
it can be quite hard and, and, and most of our homeless in that category is recurring homelessness and it's over and over and over again. There's a connection, isn't there, too? I can see the connection with your time as a detective because there you were arresting the drug traffickers, doing all of those things, trying to get the drugs out of the system, mm. you know, out of, out of the community. Yeah. And now here you are seeing people who are impacted by, I suppose, that drug trafficking, buying those drugs, using those drugs, and then as yeah. a result of some of that, finding themselves homeless. Yeah, I guess you know, being at the drug squad, it wasn't the users that we we targeted at all. It was the it was the manufacturers of of the drug, you know, usually an amphetamine, and uh, or it was um, the traffickers of major drugs such as cocaine and heroin, and occasionally major crops of of uh, marijuana. We didn't ever target users because obviously, you know, we see them as the victim, and you want to go up that chain and up that level by level to to get the people that are actually trafficking it to to the less fortunate so you know we touched on this a bit like in the drug squad you progressed really quickly the same thing happened in your career in homelessness so there you were um, youth worker case manager then you became a team leader yeah yeah I became a team leader of the uh, the team that I had uh, worked for many years in and and it was it was probably the best team I've ever worked with um, a group of women um uh, yeah, we're all women because uh, for some reason community services uh, draws out women and it has very few men in it. It's the complete opposite to, to working in the police force when there was three women, 100 men. Now it was kind of the opposite. There was like three men and 200 women. So, uh, yeah, it's a big big change, but, um, yeah. So team leader, to leading this, leading a team mm-hmm. to then becoming manager, senior mm-hmm. manager, mm-hmm. What, what's the difference when you kind of go up that ladder? Stress, more stress, <laughs> more stress. <laughs> I think dealing with clients is a lot easier than dealing with staff. In fact, I know it is. Um, but um, yeah, it, it uh, look. It's each time I, I each level, I guess that I went up. Um, I, I did find a little little bit harder in a certain way, but it, it also became easier if that makes sense uh, because you're delegating a lot down down the line. Um, but. Uh, uh, it was very easy for me because uh, the the team of people that I worked with were all community orientated and they were there for a purpose. They were there to help. So um, yeah, it was very it was easy to to manage them, I guess. So you are listening to Radio Caram. It is 5.37 on a fabulous Sunday. Um, Fantastic weather coming up. Cup day in a couple of days when we're going to hit a top of 30 degrees and what better place to be than on the beach in Caram. It's my life and you are listening to Carenza. I'm having a great conversation with Kim and certainly we were talking now about... um, Siri's talking to me too. She's getting very excited. Talking about homelessness. Um, but Kim, you're also we're also playing some of your favourite songs. I want to stick with that theme of dreams because you've also got Fleetwood Mac as one of your um, one of your favourite songs too. So tell us a little bit about why why Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac was always playing in our living room when I was growing up as a kid. Uh, it was one of my mum and dad's favourite bands. Uh, I've seen them live many times. Uh, I've even seen them live with you, to be honest. Um, so uh, Stevie Nicks uh, is, has an incredible voice and uh, it's just one of my favourite Fleetwood Mac songs. Hi, I'm Freddie from Freddie's Kitchen. Let's get behind Radio Karam. Go Karam.
You are indeed listening to the fantastic Radio Caram and It's My Life. Uh, this is Carenza with my very special guest, Kim. And that was one of our amazing station sponsors there, Freddie, from Freddie's in Caram. Kim, you were telling me there as we were listening to Fleetwood Max how much you love their pizzas. I do. I love a Freddie's pizza, but they also do a very good pasta and during the day uh, they do a very good coffee. <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah, please go get out there and support um, our station sponsors. They're very valuable and important to us. So, Kim, we've been talking about your um, amazing life, very interesting life and homelessness. And I'm interested in, is there something in your career, I guess, in homelessness that, that you know, really stands in your mind, something that you're really proud of? Uh, yeah, look, I'm really proud of my Australia Day uh, Leadership Award. Uh, but uh, client-wise, my one of my very first clients when I was working down on Phillip Island was a young man, and let's just call him Harry, not his real name, of course. And uh, he was one of my first clients, and he was a 16-year-old young man who uh, had a heroin addiction. And um, he really, really... Um, uh, got under my skin a- in fact uh, I gave him a surfboard of mine uh, because he was a snowboarder and uh, no snow on Phillip Island <laughs> but I figured that it'd keep him out of trouble if I gave him my surfboard uh, so I did and uh, you know over the years that I worked with him for a couple of years got him into drug rehab and then I moved down to Melbourne and in, in back at Ways and uh, I was uh, called down to the reception area one day and uh, there was Harry and Harry just come in and to show me his young son and he'd been clean for several years and uh, yeah that was amazing but um, it took another twist when uh, a few years later I was at um, it was a, a, a I think it was the annual meeting with the whole entire staff in the drum theatre in Dandenong and and I was sitting in the in down the front and I got a tap on the shoulder and I turned around and Harry was in the auditorium and I said Harry you can't be in here this is a ways meeting and he said no I work here now I'm now uh, a youth worker here so um, that's probably one of my greatest um, most proudest moments I, I think I bet I can imagine mm-hmm. so Kim you touched on this too so in 2018 as well you were a nominated for and won an Australia Day Leadership Award for your incredible community contribution, both in the police force and in the homelessness sector. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, it was um, it was an amazing um, surprise, actually, uh, and something that I was very proud of to, to achieve and, and to, to, first of all, get even nominated, but to, to win it was amazing. And how did it feel to sort of have that have that recognition? Did, did, did it... Did it f- I suppose, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of um, oh, give ticks, uh, you know, no, to what you've done? or Not really, not really. It was just lovely just to be recognised, I guess. it's um, It was, you know, uh, we don't do it, uh, the jobs that we do for any kind of recognition. We do it because it's something that we love to do. But, you know, having that recognition was, you know, I felt very chuffed. Uh, in you know to receive such an amazing award mm. because I mean you know it's I mean if we look back at your career that's probably 30 years dedicated really to community life um, serving the community yeah look it's been since 1985 so I'm showing my age but it's probably a little bit longer than that Carenza <laughs> longer than longer than that 30 <laughs> years and a big a big kind of commitment to make to the community yeah uh, it's look it's it's been a, an easy ride really so then um, you, your life took another twist. So, you know, not you, you, you'd sort of a couple of years ago, you took some early retirement. Yeah, I did. Look, I, um, 
I felt that it was time, you know, to get and spend more time with my family and uh, I didn't expect... I expected to be, you know, dining over long lunches and uh, <laughs> having a wow of a time but I didn't expect COVID to hit and uh, it did and I became very, very bored during that time. Great to spend time with my family and be locked down with them but, um, yeah, it was, it, was still, it was still very boring for me. Yeah, so if we look at your early retirement, not just content with, like, you know, saying, OK, I've, I've finished, I've achieved all that I can now in the homelessness space and, and in my time with, you know, Vic Pohl. Um, you spent your last couple of, you know, last couple of years working as an extra um, on a number of TV shows, including the reboot of Halifax, funnily enough, as a forensic police officer, and then on Superwog, which is my son's favourite show. Um, why, why the acting? What was that? Was that something fun or was that a combination of, you know, your undercover work or, you know, some of that adrenaline stuff that you've spoken about? What was it that, that, that kind of, you know, again, a complete switch and change? Yeah, I guess you could call it that. I, I, I think, you know, working as an undercover, I was acting acting for my life sometimes. But, um, yeah, it's um, something that I always had uh, in the back of my mind that one day I'd like to do it. And I'd still like to do uh, more, but um, I've never done theatre and I think that's something that I'd, I'd like to dabble in as well. But So yeah. can you sing then, Kimmy? Oh, singing? no, I'm not going to do musical theatre. <laughs> I'd leave. <laughs> I wouldn't have an audience. So not a singer? Not a singer. Nor, not a, nor a dancer. Well, look, Kim, it's been fantastic talking to you. We're going to come back and um, play a bit, some more of your favourite songs too. But, um, you know, here at Radio Carom, obviously we're in these beautiful new studios at, uh, at, the, at the wonderful Roy Dore Reserve. And, um, you know, with the, the relaunch and reboot of Radio Carom, we're obviously looking to, you know, bring some more people into the station. So it's been such a great conversation today. I, I would love it if perhaps you would join me going forward as, as the co-host on It's My Life. I'd absolutely love to, Carenza. It's um, it, it's it'd be an honour. I think that you're an amazing interviewer, and uh, yeah, it'd be great. Fantastic. And look, um, for people out there listening as well today too, you can find us on Facebook. We are, as I said, um, it's having a reboot at the moment, Radio Carom. And there's a great opportunity for some new voices to, to join this station, uh, talking about all of the wonderful local things that happen, um, whether you are in Mornington, down to Mentone or Mordialic. Um, this is the radio station, I think the best station in the Bayside, frankly. Um, so uh, find us on uh, Facebook, Radio Carom. You can always as well send us an SMS at Radio Carom 2 if this is something you are interested in on, on 0493 it would be fantastic to have some more local voices come and join us here at Radio Carom <laughs> Hi, I'm Josie from Space Folk, and when I want to stay groovy, I listen to Radio Caram. And you are listening to Radio Caram here. I'm Carenza and this show is It's My Life. This is our premiere show and I have been absolutely delighted to be joined by Kim who's been, you know, sharing some of the stories from her amazing life. And Kim Powderfinger. 
Oh, Powderfinger, uh, just a great Australian uh, rock band, and I have seen them as well a few times. I, I like to get out and, and see uh, good Australian gigs, So, um, and, and seeing them live, they're just sensational. I just wish they'd regroup and get together because I'd be the first in line for tickets. But uh, that album uh, that they had, and it's skipped my mind now, but the one that's that tracks from is uh, one of my favourite albums. So finally, just Kim, just some kind of closing remarks or comments. You know, I think looking back, your life has been incredibly remarkable. Um, when you, you think about all the things that you've done, is there any anything that you know that, that perhaps you've really learned as a result of the career that you've had? Anything that you know that you now take as your mantra or something that's really, really important to you? Um, look, I just... Uh, uh, basically live by the sword die by the sword type of person i i think now um i'm actually um going to go into teaching i've just won a scholarship so i think i want to impart some of my um my stories in in the community service sector to students so uh, i'm actually going to uh, teach the diploma of community services and and certificate for in community services so yeah I only found out last week that I actually won a scholarship which uh, includes uh, going back to school (laughs) so um, I told you I was bored (laughs) so so the early retirement it's never no it's not going to eventuate look at at, I got a couple of you know almost two years off so uh, that's been nice Uh, however yeah it doesn't really suit me I'm a bit too outgoing to be sitting at home so uh, you can only squeeze so many lunches um, in a week, uh, and uh, yeah. And while everyone else is out there working, uh, I'd like to be too. Yeah, I can understand that. Well, Kim, it's been an absolute pleasure to have have you on the show today. So you have been listening to It's My Life on Radio Karen, where we've talked today to Kim about her amazing life, and I'm delighted that Kim's going to join me from next week as. Um, he said an undercover then as a co-presenter hope not <laughs> so Kim I guess your life story you know um, as a police officer detective and then working undercover to leading one of Victoria's um, homelessness services it's been a really um, incredible journey and I think a story of courage and inspiration and certainly that that the story that you shared about that young man um, who you supported and whose life not only changed he's now changing the lives of other people too is is incredibly inspiring If any of today's conversations have impacted on you, then of course you can call Lifeline Australia on 13 11 14. And of course Lifeline is a national charity providing 24-7 crisis support and suicide prevention services. So uh, join us again next week here on Radio Karam and um, It's My Life when we talk with another incredible local resident, Nat Porter, and she's going to share her story with us. She's an Australian basketballer, an Olympian silver medalist, and she started her career playing basketball, Kim, at the age of five. Wow, that's amazing. Um, So thank you very much. Uh, You have been listening to It's My Life on Radio Karam. Hi, this is Steve Stakos, the Mayor of the City of Kingston, and you're listening to Radio Karam.
Smile!